2: Go, go, go. Hello. Uh, yeah.
1: All right, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> do that don't Fix that, yeah.
0: Fix it. Yeah, that broken? Fun. That's true.
2: Um, hey, so, uh, it's- You've got Matt and I tonight, Jeff is somewhere else
0: In the mountains, I think? I don't know
2: I don't know either, yeah. I forgot He's not here He's not here So, um, Godspeed, Jeff We what knew he wasn't going doing? to be, we just, I can't remember where he he's is He's in Colorado, I oh, think okay. I think he's All
0: doing right. a family, uh, you know uh, Family Swiss family mountain adventure Stevens. Yeah. Um, okay,
2: yeah, so uh, Matt and I And then we'll be talking to our guest Rhea Bachner in just a bit um, so the one thing while I was, uh, getting ready, I was, I, I don't know why I, oh, sometimes I, I'm terrible at SEO mm. and mm. so when you search for recovery podcasts, we're not, you don't um, get us, you don't get us. Um, I don't think when you search for addiction podcasts, sobriety, but none of it there there are others which is fine um but you you just we're not going to be found that way um huh. which kind of bums me out but i i hate the people listening will probably be like dude here's how you do it and yeah. you're welcome to like shoot me an email and tell me how to do it cuz i'm a dumbass i'm not doing that i'm but, also uh, a dumbass but uh yeah, so if people searching for recovery podcasts, sobriety podcasts, addiction podcasts, we're not going to be on the, the, the results. not Certainly not the front page. Um, but except, with the notable exception of, there are a couple of uh, sites that have us, that are on the front page, that have us in their best recovery podcasts or best sobriety podcasts okay. or that kind of thing. So in in sort of 2 degrees 2 degrees, separation. right. You'll it, get there. Um with uh, an endorsement. So um that's nice. And uh so in, in in and periodically like I said I do that search and you know nothing changes so I don't know why I do it. I don't know why I do it. <laughs> it'll I think cuz I think cuz I understand yeah the, the the SE will owe itself. Right. Um and uh but what I found was the, the one I had no idea how saturated the recovery addiction recovery sobriety podcast niche is really. Um, I mean, if, maybe I'm just we're just over in our, our own little corner and I like I only know the ones I know, right? But I found this listing on I forget, like Player FM had a listing of all the recovery podcasts. And there are a shitload really? of recovery podcasts. Are there thousands, would you say? Mm, hundreds. Hundreds, okay. Um, and I'm not aware of many of them. But what did come, to, and this is the roundabout way of saying this, and you know it's a ripe niche. It's yeah. when, I think, th- uh, what's today, the 19th?
0: A week and a half ago, Russell Brand started really? a recovery podcast. When Russell Brand gets there, people, yeah. you know, and... Yeah, I mean, do you think there are people out there deliberately becoming addicted to substances (laughs) with the long game play of starting a podcast? It could be. I'm deep, deep, deep undercover. Right, Right. (laughs) I'm going method. Yeah. that's. uh, Um, Yeah, you know, I'm of the mind, the more the merrier. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're not trying to, but but it is interesting because I think when we started a few years back, Hmm. a couple, three years back, it was a little bit less populated. And that's totally. It's anecdotal that. I have yeah. no
2: backup of that. That's I neither. I, I had no idea that. Well, yeah, maybe. And I, you know, certainly along the way too, I've encouraged people to start podcasting mm-hmm. in their recovery. So, um, you know, we've. I like to think
0: we're. You know, uh, uh, you started. You are Johnny Podcast Seed. You have you've yeah. helped many a person in yeah. our sphere. You know, as we've kind of traveled so, around, start podcasts. So that's cool. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I just thought it was
2: interesting that Russell Brand. I, now at this stage, you know everybody knows he's a, a big recovery advocate, but mm-hmm. um, thank you. I felt like he was moving more towards like politics, yeah. But now he's just over here, back uh, starting a recovery, program, which is great. So it's gonna um, be it's recovery
0: first. Is it what is it it's like? It's
2: called uh, Russell Brand's Recovery Radio. Okay, well there yeah, you go. Where it's talking to you know addicts and hearing stories of recovery and you know, knowing him he'll amp up
0: the debauchery yeah um, i'm sure it'll be a little saucy and a little yeah. tawdry but um and you know i don't know that it, it, you could probably have a recovery based podcast in the entertainment world that would be um i don't think you'd have any problem finding guests you know mm-hmm. i mean oh yeah yeah, in, yeah. In the,
2: <laughs> right no. and that's popular entertainment right. it's like yeah, yeah your, your chances are pretty good right um Yeah. And I think, and that, I was, I don't know who I was talking to, but that's definitely not where we go. Not that we could. No. But, you know, this will never be like, we're going to try to get Robert Downey Jr. on. Right. Like, I just, I'm interested in people that are more recovery celebrities than celebrities that are in recovery. Absolutely. So, absolutely.
0: um, Recovery kind of first or the impetus for whatever it is you're doing. So, speaking of which, Let's call our guests. Let's do it real quick before we do. Oh yeah, yeah. I Sorry. just want to give a shout out to my folks who celebrated six years of recovery, Stephen Kath. nice getting sober in their sixties, keeping it real. Congratulations, yeah. Stephen yeah. Kath. So That's I just awesome. I know my mom listens. I'm that guy now. I don't care. Um, and uh, yeah, six years. You know, and like every bad thing that could happen and has happened in the last six years, and they stayed sober. And it's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So good on you. Good mom. on you. Yeah, good really. on you, mom and dad. I, Keep I wanna, on keeping on. But. Yes. I'm holding a mic, so snaps. snaps. Right, but right. <laughs> um,
2: this is—it's not not jazz up in here. Right. Um, okay. Well, cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to. So give same a same,
0: same date, same date. Yeah. Same oh, date. that's date. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. I think I believe it was July. I'm gonna say it was the 12th. Hmm. Yeah. I could be yeah. making that up, but whatever. Uh, whatever yeah. Saturday was. Yeah. So mid July. Yeah, mid July back in oh geez 20 you know 11. Yeah. So.
2: There you go. Fantastic. So our uh, guest, let's let's go. Let's see if I remember how to do this. Hello. Hey, Rhea. Hi guys. Uh, so, uh this is Chris and uh Matt's here with me.
0: Hey, Rhea.
3: Hi there.
0: How are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. And yeah.
2: uh, so we did a little intro before we called you in. Um, joining us now is Rhea Bachner, um, who's recently published <laughs> recently published right uh, within the past. Yes. Yeah, uh, a memoir, The Cape House, which while not strictly a recovery memoir, has an element of recovery to it. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, can, do you want to? Uh, where, where do you where do you want to start? Do you want to start?
3: Well, I want to start by congratulating Matt's parents. It's oh, so romantic yeah, oh, cool. that they have the same sobriety date. It's yeah. like an anniversary. I feel like I would, if my husband and I had the same sobriety date, I would like do an anniversary trip and then like a sobriety trip every year. I think that's so cute. It
0: is. It's mm-hmm. it's freaking adorable. Uh, yeah, on a number of levels. But yeah. Well, thank you. They're uh they're they're quite a couple. You know, forty five awesome. years of marriage and uh, six years of sobriety. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
3: So, New lease on life. <laughs> I know.
0: Absolutely. It's never too late, certainly. So you um, mentioned
2: if you is. and your husband had the same sobriety date. Is your husband also in recovery?
3: Uh, No, oh. he's not. Oh, okay, um, but I see what you're saying. But he's very, very supportive of my gotcha. recovery. In fact, on our first date, he told me that he had already read the big book, and I was like, tell me where to sign. Like, That's we're good. Like Yeah. Yeah, wow. just, you know, he i have he I have some members he has some some people that he knows that he's close to who had already been through rehab by the time he we met, so he was very familiar with you know recovery and it was just it wasn't a stigmatized thing for him it was like, oh cool, yeah, I've read the big book, and I was like um <laughs> Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, like we're getting married then. Awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you meant that he had read the big book in preparation for your first date and I'm like, Right? Whoa, that
3: is commitment. Yeah, uh, I hand guys a syllabus before the first date. Like, <laughs> like like read these, read, you know, um what's that book? Uh like Prozac Nation. Oh, you right. know,
0: those yeah. Wurzel. Yeah, yeah. Read that. Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. Toward a meaningful life, you know, all those.
0: <laughs> oh well. Yeah, so what, uh, where do you want to start with the memoir, or do you want to go back and tell Yeah, I yourself? mean,
3: I, I feel like the memoir and my story are actually pretty tied together. Um, but basically, I'll just I'll quickly just mention, the book itself is a memoir that takes place during the last six weeks of my mom's life. She, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2008, and she went through treatment for about a year, and they just couldn't keep up with it. And, um, so she called me in, uh, March of 2009 and told me that they had told her basically it was terminal and she only had, you know, maybe six to eight weeks to live. So, um, at that point, um, my husband and I and our son, who is now nine, but was then a baby, um, were living in my family's summer home in Cape Cod, which we call mm-hmm. the Cape House. And my mother, um, basically told me during that phone call that she was going to be moving up there from their apartment in Manhattan to spend whatever time she had left. So just by some instinct, I started writing that day, and I wrote every day over the next seven weeks um, until she passed away. Um, And so during that time, my whole family moved in. I have three younger siblings who all moved in with their significant others. So it was a very interesting time, and I found that as I was writing, um, and during that time, my mother had also asked me, to write her story, mm-hmm. um, so I sort of you know was cobbling together something, but I found that as I was writing what was happening in the present, there were a lot of things that happened in the past that I kind of need to needed to fill in the blanks for, mm-hmm. um, in order for people to really understand the context of many of the things that were happening then. And so as I was as I went back after my mother passed away, and I sort of you know picked up the notes and then put them down again, had a baby, put them down again, picked them up, had another baby, you know, so like you know over eight years was. You know, tinkering with this thing until I realized that the story that I was trying to tell about my mother was really tied in with my own story of addiction Mm -hmm. and recovery. Because you know, much of the way that we related with each other was through our mutual struggles with it and Mm. how our relationship changed once we both got into recovery. Um, And so, by the time that we got to the end, quote unquote. Um, we had come to this very different place so that I was able to really be present and there was, you know, all the amends that needed to be made were made, all the, everything was just tied up and w- there was no regrets. It was just being able to show up for that. So, um, but that said, I, uh, my, my story of addiction is, is it's unique in that many people don't necessarily. I should say I should say alcoholism and drug addiction and, and and gambling addiction even though obviously there's still a lot of stigma attached to them in su- to some degrees there's mm-hmm. they're pretty much common parlance in 2017 like people you know people know that alcoholism and drug addiction are a thing mm-hmm. um, and and both of which I wrestled with but my primary drug of choice was food um, and many people don't realize including people in the medical establishment that food addiction is an actual real thing mm-hmm. um, and so for me because of that and because I grew up in you know the 80s and 90s where it was just you know go on weight watchers whatever people you know it was it was very much a struggle for me and there were no there was one place there was a I, I called actually called it fat rehab it was like a um, <laughs> it was a uh, diet and fitness center, um, down South. And, you know, for me, I was 14 years old and weighed 250 pounds. So it wasn't like this was, you know, some cute little thing I had to deal with. I was very, very obese Hmm. and, you know, talking to these people and telling them, you know, I, I knew that I reacted to food in a way that was not normal. You know, I, I would eat something and there was no off switch. I couldn't stop particularly when I would eat um, flour and sugar. And when I, you know, would hear these stories about alcoholics, I, I I'm really related, it resonated with me on some level, but on, on, on another level, I felt really left out because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't drinking cause I was only what, like 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but although I know there are plenty of alcoholics <laughs> who start young, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not smashing a, I'm not destroying a penthouse at the St. Regis. I'm just eating everything my mom just bought from the grocery store. <laughs> but like, you know, that, For me, I knew from, from the time I was very young that I did things, I I responded to food very differently, but I didn't realize because there was no discussion about it, there was no awareness of it, I thought it was something I had to fix myself. And so for many, many years, I really struggled with it and kept trying to, to stop myself and, and control it. And I mean, any addict who has tried to control their addiction will tell you that it's fucking exhausting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excuse me. It's exhausting. And by the, you know, at 16 years old, um, there was a woman and I mean, there's, there's plenty, obviously more to that story, but I'll, you know, I'll give you the quick version because I want to get to, you know, the, the, uh, the, the happy ending as it were. But anyway, so there was a woman who came to the school where I grew up. I went to a private school in Northern New Jersey, a Jewish private school, which is basically a breeding ground for credit card debt and eating addictions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this woman came in Um, ostensibly to prevent these young girls from eating disorders. But she came in and started talking about how she threw up Hmm. after she ate and it helped her from gaining weight. And obviously she was there to talk about how she was recovered from bulimia, but my brain shut off at that point. And I was just like, that is a brilliant idea. You know, That's like crazy. there's my magic pill. You know, I was so excited. So, you know, being a quick bottom, I was binging and purging, you know, eight to 10 times a day within three months. Wow. Um, yeah, not, you know, and but for me, I was so happy because even though I wasn't, I wasn't um, losing weight, I wasn't gaining weight anymore, mm. which was a very, which for me was like, okay. Yeah. Um, and then you know because i lived i shared a bathroom with my sister and i lived in a very close knit family there was very it was i was found out pretty fast mm-hmm. and um and there was an intervention and i had never been angrier in my life like how could you take this mm-hmm. away from me i finally figured this thing out um so i had to stop until i went to college and once i got to college all bets were off i could sure. eat how yeah. i wanted to drink how i wanted to smoke how i wanted to and, you know, at that point, in, in many ways, I was very sheltered. But in other ways, I I had a self-awareness about me that even then, when I didn't have the words for it, I remember I was at a party once and someone asked me if I wanted to do coke. And I said, I can't do coke because I know I'll like it. And oh. then I'd be able to stop. And like, I have no idea how I knew this, hmm. but I just knew that. And so I didn't do it. Um But, you know, there were plenty of other things I did. And I found also when I started drinking that I didn't drink like normal people either. You know, I I, it was very rare that I would just have like a cute little glass of wine with dinner. I would go into a bar and have nine glasses of wine in 20 minutes or get completely (laughs) wasted on wine coolers. You know, I think it was for me like just a liquid version of sugar. But, you know, but, you, you know, I remember feeling like that beginning of being drunk feeling where most people are like, Oh good. I got a nice buzz on. Whereas Mm -hmm. I'm like, give me another drink. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not totally delirious yet.
1: Right. Right.
3: Um, or I want more of this, you know, that's pretty much like my motto for life. Like if this feels good, I want more of this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so finally I, um, I got into recovery when I was 19. I don't remember how I first heard about, um, the, I, my recovery, um, includes uh, the 12 steps. So wow. I had first heard about this particular 12 step group. Um, I honestly do not remember how I first heard of them, but I did hear that there was a group of fat people, from what I understood, um, who got together and talked about food. And at the time, I was working on a screenplay about the diet industry because I figured if I wrote some smart expose that everyone would forgive me for being fat because it was their fault right. that <laughs> I couldn't lose you weight. Know? Um, and so I called my mother who, you know, my codependent sidekick who, you know, went on every diet with me and tried to help me in every way she possibly could and told her to go check out one of these meetings for me. And then call me back and tell me what they said so that I could put it in my screenplay. And, you know, we had no concept of boundaries or like what was healthy or normal. So she was like, okay, so she went, (laughs) so she went to this meeting and she called me back and she was like, you know, maybe you want to go to one of these meetings. And I was so horribly offended. Like she had accused me of like, you know, like pedophilia or something <laughs> like me. I don't need one of these meetings. God forbid. You know, meanwhile, I'm like, you know, ogling the Ben and Jerry's in the in the freezer and, you know, just rolling myself a joint. But no, I don't need anything like <laughs> right, that. Right. Um, but, you know, I'll just I'll just sit here and contemplate suicide. No big deal. So I um So for whatever reason, I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. Because of course, of course, the meeting was like down the block from my dorm. And there was, you know, there was no, there was no excuse. So I went and I had no, I went to this meeting and I had no idea what these people were talking about. I, they were speaking, it was literally another language. Mm. Recovery is another language. And I really, obviously I didn't speak it yet. And so, but the one thing that stuck with me when I went to that first meeting was somebody, called themselves a compulsive overeater and it was like a lightning bolt just went through me it was like oh this thing has a name Mm -hmm. and if there's a name for this thing that means it's a thing it's a real thing and that means that I'm not the only one who has this I'm not a freak Mm -hmm. um and so and I understood that if I said to these people there's something in my freezer that's talking to me and wakes me out of my sleep and I can't not eat it that they would understand that the doctors didn't understand that. They just they told me to just not eat it. But mm-hmm. it's like telling an alcoholic just not to drink, right. or you yeah. know, telling someone just just don't breathe because yeah. like you know exactly. whatever. Um, it just that's not an option. And so basically, it took about two years of me kind of creeping around the margins of these meetings and, and you know stalking these people and not doing what they suggested mm-hmm. until finally I was willing to do something different. Um, and that my, my, my alcohol sobriety date is actually earlier than my food sobriety date, but my alcohol sobriety date is, um, Valentine's day of 2004. That was my last drunk. And Mm -hmm. then, um, March 29th, 2004, I sat in a meeting and listened to people who had what I wanted and like a light bulb went off Mm -hmm. in my brain and it was like, you know, maybe if I do what they do, I'll have what they have. Mm -hmm. Like, it's pretty obvious, like Mm -hmm. A plus B equals C, but I was just not there yet I guess. Yeah. Um but from then on, you know, I I was I became what they call in in that program abstinent. Mm. And so um, I lost over 100 pounds oh, wow. which I, you know, have thank God maintained for you know, about 11 12 years now. Um and at the same time, I after I got thin, um that was when, you know, shit really got real because it was like, oh, I thought that, you know, when I got thin, the credits in in my movie were going to roll and everything was going to be great after that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the end of the romantic comedy. And then I realized <laughs> that, like, I was thin now, but I was still an asshole. Yeah, and, yeah. like, no one wanted to hang out with me. And I was rageful and restless and nice. irritable all the time. So, like, what was the point? I might as well be eating. And so I, you know, at that point... I I realized that it really wasn't about not eating or not drinking or not doing drugs. Those were just kind of like taking away the medicine that right. I was using to cope.
1: Right. But
3: without those things, now I was just an unmedicated sociopath. Right.
1: So right. I you know, <laughs>
3: right. I just I needed I needed to find another way of living. So for me that 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 began with working the 12 steps and having a spiritual experience. But you know, my recovery that's for me the foundation of my recovery, yeah. but my recovery has you know, incorporated a lot of other elements at the same time since then. You know, I, I happen to be observant in my religion. Um, I'm a yo- yogi. So, you know, there are a lot of different elements that really help contribute to that. Antidepressants are sure. a huge, a huge part of my recovery. I didn't realize Amen. that like most people don't work so hard to feel okay. Like <laughs> I didn't realize like it was, it was, it wasn't that much work, um, right. to just be baseline.
1: Yeah, um, exactly.
3: but so I just, you know, for me, it's I realize that it really has nothing to do with the whatever drug I'm using. It has to do with with how I'm dealing mm-hmm. with the life that's given to me and, and the circumstances that I'm in um, and that I can maintain serenity and even if I'm not serene, at least I can maintain ex- some level of acceptance of it right. without having to fight the tide all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and the, ab-
2: so- the abstinence is the sobriety. And then the recovery is a whole separate aspect. Exactly. I mean, that's what happens after the sobriety. So let me, I just want to stop for one second and, and back sure. up. So your alcohol sobriety date predates your eating, is a recovery date? So were you attending AA and OA? So
3: I start I primarily was in OA but I did start going to AA meetings also because I found in OA it's interesting. When I came in I'm and to this day I'm still one of the youngest people there. It's typically people who are um like in their, you know, forties and fifties and older. Um mm-hmm. but AA had the young people, which is what I needed at the time. Um, because I was dealing with things that a lot of these people who are already, you know, married and had kids and all these things you know, I had to deal with dating and finding jobs and finishing grad school. And, and I found that these, you know, I needed people who were kind of dealing with the same things that I was. And at the same time, you know, in some ways I was lucky that food was my drug of choice because I never had to get in that much trouble with drugs and alcohol. But, but, but I sat in, meetings. And I totally got what these people were saying. And I knew that and it's like that thing I said with with the cocaine, like I knew that if I had never gotten into food, I would have totally gotten into something else. And that was probably a lot more dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did go to OA and AA, I did go to NA a, a few times. Mm-hmm. And then once I really got into um, working the 12 steps, I went to a lot of AA meetings, because they really, the AA meetings I went to were really, really focused on that. And these were people who had been doing it, you know, who had had the spiritual experience. And, and, um, there was a, there was a trend back in the like late seventies, early eighties of people based out of, um, Massachusetts who got back to, for them, it was using, um, the AA big book as the basic text. Um, Mm -hmm. because the, a lot of, one of the big trends with the advent of rehab facilities, which, you know, thank God they've saved a lot of people, um, Um, But the incorporation of therapy speak and and just go to meetings. And so the 12 steps kind of got watered down a little bit. Mm -hmm. The focus wasn't so much on that versus, you know, don't drink, go to meetings and and that kind of thing. And so a lot of people weren't getting that message. And um, these people in Massachusetts really felt the need to refocus on that. And so for them, their meetings are really based around teaching people how to work the 12 steps and mm-hmm. and get the experience from there um so those are the people that taught me how to do it and most of them were alcoholics
0: wow it's always the massachusetts you know yeah I'm telling you the well it's the, all the
3: irish living in boston
0: yeah <laughs> my people i mean yeah the militant grammarians of massachusetts were a exactly. movement in right you know i mean the, yeah it's just the hard line like uh you know well that's great that's yeah that's really fantastic um yeah so yeah. here you are kind of on the other side for some time now. You yeah. uh you met your husband while sober and while
3: Yeah, abstinent. I met my husband abstinent and sober and thin. So he's never known me um he's never known me obese or using. Hmm. Um and I've had 3 kids. Um, and plus I also have two stepdaughters from his first marriage. Mm. So I have five children and, um, yeah. And somehow like every day is a different kind of challenge. Like parenthood is like the final frontier where, (laughs) you know, it's the ultimate lesson in humility. Um, but one of the things that I'm reminded of over and over is that like, if I really want like a physical, connection or understanding of god i just have to look at my relationship with my kids mm-hmm. because they do all kinds like my son today was mad at me and kept splashing me in the pool on purpose and it was so <laughs> annoying it was so annoying but i loved him anyway and i thought he was really cute so like i just i keep thinking of like out of all the like stupid shit that i do god still thinks i'm really cute you know, so like, <laughs> and like, he's still really nice to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, no matter, uh, you know, I just, cause I'm really annoying too, and self-centered and I cry for attention and, and I'm disrespectful and I, you know, don't appreciate all the things that mm-hmm. I have. And I'm, I whine and I'm grumpy and mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I only care about what I want. And like kids, you know, I, I really, I felt like a crotchety old woman tonight. I'm like, they're so ungrateful. They don't mm-hmm. know what they mm-hmm. have when I was a kid. Blah, and it's yeah. just like, Dear Lord, you know, like I can't even imagine what God thinks of me when I'm saying this kind of stuff, you know, but you know, it's the ultimate lesson, the ultimate practice of, of humility and, and spiritual principles is in our own homes. It's so easy to be, you know, living in recovery with strangers. Um, It's so much harder to do it in a marriage, in a family unit as a parent. Um, But I have, you know, the tools of Mm. recovery have really helped me. In those relationships Tonight I like lost it on my son And immediately apologized mm-hmm. And he was like you sh-, And I said you know I shouldn't have done that It was mm-hmm. wrong And and within five minutes He was holding my hand Because mm-hmm. I didn't have to make it about me Or my pride Like people mm-hmm. screw up You know yeah. And yeah. That's, that's a very regular thing In our household Like people screw up And mm-hmm. all you have to do Is apologize And do your best Not to do it again
0: Yeah Yeah it, it, The ability to be a quick healer I guess that's yeah. one of the things that I've kind of found in mm. recovery is acknowledging when i when I fucked up and mm. it happens mm-hmm. a lot, yeah. and then immediately you know not like the uh the serial apologist, you don't want to like jump right to attrition, right. but you know to right. the self awareness be like, okay, mm-hmm. that wasn't good, I'm over it I'm yeah. now I'm sorry, yeah, that Let's
3: was go, a mistake you know? exactly but quickly, i know it,
0: it confounds other people, mm-hmm. they're like
3: what do you how'd that you know Especially oh, when December? those people are like raring for a fight. Right. <laughs> You're like, wait, you just totally like rain on my parade. I was all ready for a blowout here. Right. You what know, am I gonna
0: but, be pissed about?
3: yeah, it's funny though. There are these little victories though. I had one yesterday my husband said something that really pissed me off. And like my go-to would have been just like to rip him a new one because that's what you mm-hmm. do. Right. Yeah. But like before I said a word, I was just like, you know what Rhea, walk away mm-hmm. and just walk away from this moment and he came upstairs and like very calmly and casually i was like you know i didn't really appreciate it when you said and he was just like okay i understand and he just and like it wasn't a, it wasn't a month long fight it right. was a revelation like i and those little things, like no one will know them, those little victories. Obviously you guys know about it now, but mm-hmm. like those, you know, those little victories are like mine and God's and I you know, I can do a little inner victory dance for that that like oh. I didn't cause a gigantic fight over something mm-hmm. stupid because of my pride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's it's those little it's it's the little victories too, you know? And I
2: think I mean people in recovery I think recognize that too, because you know, most of us doing you know doing recovery even half-heartedly have done uh, i would hazard more introspection than the average person not in recovery yeah. Right? and so you sort of get to to be much more aware of those things and uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I used to like thrive on you know verbal jousting sparring and just yeah. you know getting into it um but uh yeah in recovery i'm just like I, I, I don't have the energy for it. Yeah, um, you know, I'm yeah. Like, I just I,
0: I don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, um,
3: nothing gets me higher than having the last word.
0: Right? Oh yeah, you know? that's oh. being right is a fantastic drug too. Oh just my the, god, the, the burn of rightness. And, oh, oh it's, it's delicious. It's brilliant. It's delicious.
3: Yeah. Just, but um, but there's that you know that annoying phrase of like, do you want to be right or do you want to be peaceful? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, damn it, <laughs> like, like can I be both?
0: Yeah, I'll be peaceful when I'm right. Okay. Yeah, I just you
3: know? want to be right, and then I'll feel peaceful about it. Like I don't understand what the why there has to be a separation here.
0: So
2: you've talked about how like how recovery has impacted you as a parent, and you also talked about it's it's well, as it often is it's it's familial. There's a there's a you had a connection with with I guess your mother um, mm-hmm. in recovery. How do you do you think about it in terms of your kids and how to have you talked to them about any of this Are they old enough to understand any of it
3: so my stepdaughters for sure they're 16 and 14 Mm -hmm. so I've definitely talked to them about it I've been very open with them about it and you know between my family and my husband's family we there's a lot of addiction Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you know I've told them very clearly I can't you know if you're going to drink and do drugs, you know, that's not something I can stop you from doing, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. be very aware that you have the odds stacked against you in this regard.
1: Mm-hmm. But
3: the good thing is, if you find that you have a problem, I can help you. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know people who can help you with this. So for me, it's... And that's really all I can do. My my little ones, obviously, they can't really understand what right. what this is about, but they do know that if, my, you know, mommy mommy only eats, um, certain foods and if she eats sugar or flour, she gets really sick. So sometimes like my little guy, he's four and he'll just like hold something up in front of me. He's like, can you eat this? And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, and it's, and they know, you know, mommy's mm-hmm. not having dessert. So, cause they know mommy used to be, they know I used to be very, very, I, I, I say, you know, they say mommy used to be really fat and, um, mm-hmm. I, and I almost died. And if I eat certain foods, I'll get really sick, mm. which is the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's what they understand.
0: So you're, uh, and we, we haven't really brought, we haven't had a lot of people on the show who have, who've come through away. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, uh, you spoke about abstinence and this is just mm-hmm. k- kind of ignorance on our part, but what, yeah. what is it that you did? How did you modify and modulate your mm your diet in order to get healthy
3: i hear you so first so the concept of abstinence there's a big misconception when people hear the word abstinence um oa doesn't have like one set food plan it's not like a diet club Mm -hmm. um so abstinence is defined as the act of refraining from compulsive eating so that can really mean anything to each individual person for example an anorexic that phrase might mean something completely different than a bulimic. Mm -hmm. So for some, you know, for an anorexic, they should be eating more for a bulimic. They need to be, you know, so it's, it's, it's for every person. Abstinence is for every person to divine for themselves. But for me, um, because I was a compulsive overeater, meaning like I couldn't, you know, control the amount that I ate. Um, I had to, first of all, refrain from certain substances for sure. Sugar and flour, because they had, they uh, kicked off a reaction in me that was very similar to to a drug or alcohol reaction. in fact they they have been doing studies and molecularly sugar reacts in the body very similarly mm-hmm. to heroin. Um, and so that was the kind of reaction I had. So I knew from the beginning that those two things needed to be out. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first three days of not eating sugar, I walked around with my hands shaking, like mm-hmm. as if I was coming off of something which i which I was, yeah, which I really was so. Um, So that was sort of the beginning, and then from there, it was suggested to me that because I don't know, you know, I never learned how to eat normally because I would just eat all day. I don't know what a proper serving size is. You know, I can take, you know, half of a cow and say that that's four ounces. So um, (laughs) one of the things that I do is I put everything that I eat on a scale. I weigh it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a food plan which basically says for breakfast I eat this many ounces of this, this many ounces of this, and I have a sponsor who I call every day and I tell her what I'm going to eat and I weigh it on a scale. Mm. Um, and that for me is, you know, people think that that's, you know, like over it's, Mm -hmm. I've heard people say, you know, that's, that's really a lot. That's extreme. But for me, it's it's like taking medication. I don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry. Did I eat too much? Did I eat too little? Um, it's, it's actually very liberating. There's, you know, it's that paradox of like boundaries make us free. Um, so for, um, so for me, weighing and measuring has been very liberating because I have no, I don't have that ability to discern what a proper serving size is or when a meal has has an ending. So I know that if it's on my plate, there, the meal has a beginning, a middle, and an end, sure. and it's yeah. done. Um, so that was a, it was, and for me, I've learned, it's really a spiritual practice of of being accountable and doing what I say I'm going to do and just having limits and boundaries around those things. And it's, it's taught me. It's, it's been a, a really positive practice in my life. There are many people in OA who don't do that, who, you know, eat a little bit more intuitively and that works for them and that's totally fine. Um, but this has been my experience. But again, I'm just one person um, and this is what I do. But it's certainly not representative of, mm-hmm. what, of what people in OA do as a whole. But the idea of abstinence is to refrain from from compulsive eating compulsive eating behaviors so it again it depends on the person but that this is what's worked for me okay
1: that's
0: interesting it is um, it is i i yeah, i appreciate that because you know just the word abstinence in relation to food it takes you to a certain place so that for
3: sure me for sure that. yeah because uh, you know what, what are you supposed to not eat i mean people right, people that's talk what about. I yeah that's what many people think Ab, what does that mean um, and it's funny because I've heard many people say in OA meetings that in some ways we have it a lot harder than all the other addicts cause we have to walk the tiger three mm-hmm. times a day. Right. Um, whereas, you know, if you're an alcoholic, just don't drink anymore. Like that's it. You don't ever have to drink again. Yeah. Um, it's obviously like and, and, and it's, and by the way, it's as easy as that. You right. should just stop. Um, so, <laughs> um, but for, um, but for, you know, I have to eat, I have to, so it's, uh, you know, to have those boundaries around it or just to refrain from certain behaviors is is kind of what it's about
2: and so the the notion of of uh sort of weighing portions and and having a meal plan for each meal did that Mm -hmm. come out of aa is that something that that the group there are people in there are going to have those sorts of suggestions of how what what you can try or how how do you you said it's um, a whatever. lot
3: of it, yeah, it's it's suggested okay. typically to you know a lot of people get food plans from nutritionists like okay. you, you know you consult a professional. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. you know I'm certainly not qualified, although ironically I probably am after all the like diet books that I've sure. read. But like, um, but you know you consult with a professional, you get some some, uh, get an idea of what you're supposed to be eating from a nutritionist. You talk to Mm -hmm. a doctor, they give you, you know, and then once you have this plan in place, you discuss it with a sponsor and that's what you commit to. You know, none of us are, are food and and diet gurus. We're Mm -hmm. just, you know, we, we're certainly, you know, humble enough to say we don't, we don't know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but the weighing and measuring piece, um, was the suggestion of, of my sponsor, you know, and I say this to my sponsors too. Like I don't care what you're eating, Mm -hmm. just, you know, decide decide what's going to work for you, and tell me what it's going to be, and that's it. As long as you're being honest about it.
2: Do Do you have a? Sorry, I'm jumping around. Do you have yeah. a, a, a AA sponsor also?
3: Um, I have a. So it's called a Big Book Step Study sponsor. Yeah, oh. who is in AA? Okay.
0: So the yeah. the twelve steps, the tenets of. 12 step recovery applied got it across the board yeah
3: okay, they do okay. apply across the board and, and i you know i would go to in massachusetts they have um all addictions big book meetings where like anybody with any kind of addiction can go and it's that same uh-huh. you know it applies to everybody
1: wow that's,
0: yeah that and you know it's not surprising it's just it's something we're a little bit unfamiliar with. Obviously we've seen, I've, yeah. you know, had seen people recover from innumerable things, using mm-hmm. 12 steps. I went to my yeah. first Al-Anon meeting a month ago and All see right. people there using the big book to yeah. better their themselves mm-hmm. and their lives. Um,
3: Speaking so. of the final frontier, Al-Anon, it's like, it's so, I, I've been to a number of Al-Anon meetings and for me, I, 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 I love the idea. I have so struggled with it though coming from OA because in OA you get very clear cut directions. In Al Anon, it's very intuitive and I don't like not knowing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I need someone to tell me what to do and Al Anon is like the opposite of that. Like, exactly. no, we're not we're not telling you what to do.
0: Right. Right. I need a prescription. I really do. Yeah. I, need, I need a very narrow path to walk. Or right. uh,
3: And and you know, the recovery of Al-Anon is specifically staying away from trying to run other people's lives. So it's right. like, you know, damn it, they're not going to help me.
0: <laughs> right, right. Anyone? Any takers?
3: <laughs> yeah. Nice, hello? Life, you're ready to run. Yeah. Is uh, this thing on? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but I, I, too, know a lot of people who have, who have had amazing recovery in Al-Anon. Um, I guess I just like to do it the hard way and figure it out myself first and then break stuff and then go back to Al-Anon and say, okay, I'm ready now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> and, and this is my ignorance again, coming outside the 12-step. The Al-Anon is for family of the addicted, I thought. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, family, okay.
3: family and friends right, and you know, people who, the, okay. who have, a, have addictions. Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes.
3: But, you know, as addiction is is technically classified as a family disease, you know, everybody plays a part in it. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. people, people in Al-Anon are, you know, could be just as addicted as an alcoholic, but just to something else, you know, it's right. just to their control over the alcoholic. That's an ag- addictive thing, their fear, you know, whatever it is. So it's just a different, it's just a different way in the door.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and really a way of, uh, augmenting or, or, Coping with control, mm. the notion of control yeah. and, and understanding yeah. uh, the true degree of control we have over our own lives and that mm. of others. Yeah. The way I yeah. understand it, like I said, I went to one meeting and I spent the first half of it saying to myself, they're doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong, <laughs> they're doing it wrong. Yeah. And then I spent the second half of the meeting almost crying because I was surrounded by all this just love and support wow. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was staggering. So, yeah. um, but, you know, Uh so, yeah. if you would, I mean, you you mentioned a little bit some of the things that you do today to help yeah. you uh, to help you stay, you know, to to help you cope with everyday life and this incredibly yeah. difficult thing that it seems so intuitive to others. Mm. But um, so <laughs> could you could you elaborate a little bit? I know you'd mentioned um, uh, you're active in your religious faith and there's yeah. some physical, but. Is it really? Yeah, just, uh, so, yeah. Please.
3: Um, so I, th- yeah, as I said, I, I am, um, uh, an Orthodox Jew. So I have, um, so I have my religious practice, which I both love and struggle against every single day. Um, and as part of being, um, in my faith, I am integrated into a community, which is very, very helpful. Um, I just find that being part of a of a faith based community, as imperfect as it is, um, just kind of offers a different perspective. You relate with people on a different kind of level, which for me is very important because I really strive for authenticity. And um, you know, I the relationships I build there are often you know based on deeper things than just the superficial, which is which is very important. Um, as I said, I'm also um, a yogi, so I do yoga um almost daily. I'd say you know four to six times a week and um it's for many, many, many years, I was very into seated meditation in the morning and 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 you know quiet conversing with God, and somehow it just kind of evolved into into doing it as a moving meditation, bringing myself back into my body presence and in the present moment and being patient and watching myself progress. And it's, it's a very different kind of journey, but, um, yoga has been a very important part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, r- writing has also mm-hmm. been a huge piece of it. Writing the Cape House for me, um, aside from just, you know, helping me work through my grief and losing my mother and, and also getting to be with her was really to help me sort through my own experience of what it was like engage, you know, interacting with her, on both on one side and then the other of addiction. Um, so the practice, and I'm also a professional writer, so, you know, I, I love doing it, but writing is a huge piece for me. Um, I'm thinking what else, um, being outside walking, they say like a lot of the great contemplators, the, um, Thoreau, you know, he taught, um, and Robert Frost, you know, mm. that famous poem, I, um, the two, two roads diverged into right. wood, like he was on a walk, right. he was walking, which way do I go? Um, so, um, walking outside, particularly in the early morning, um, just, there's no way you can walk outside on, when the sun's coming up and, you know, you can't, you can't ignore the, the possibility mm-hmm. of the day that, mm-hmm. you know, you've been given a real gift here. Um, and it's a good way to sort of get my head on straight before I, I you know, deal with the, uh, the morning rush, as mm-hmm. it were, with, mm-hmm. with my kids. Um, and in general, I think one of the most important pieces for me is just, as I said, like talking about authenticity, I have, I know, you know, I'm 35 years old and my threshold for like bullshit is, is way filled. So like, I don't, you know, I don't, I really, I keep things very simple. Mm. Um, in general, like, you know, I don't have a lot of stuff. I I actually compulsively purge my house of clutter because I can't deal with like extra Mm -hmm. crap everywhere, which is very hard to do with three kids at home. But like, 'Cause I don't know what it is. They just bring stuff into the house with them. But like I'm constantly getting stuff out of my house. I'm, you know, I streamline my wardrobe. I streamline my relationships. If they're, you know, if I feel like there's something I'm I'm very no, I wouldn't use the word quick, but I'm very discerning about who with whom I spend and give my time mm. to and, and who I share my time mm. with. Um, just because I don't want to waste it. And I, I want to be able to to have something to offer someone and to also get something from from the relationships that I have. So, you know, when I find myself in, you know, I, I go, sometimes I'll go out with my husband, like if there's a random party in our community, and I'll look at him after about 20 minutes. And I'm like, yep, I filled my small talk quota, time to go home. Like, yeah. I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, you know, I'm, I really strive for, for real Relationships and obviously there's a time and place for you know the superficial like carpool mom talk but for the for for the most part like I just I don't have time for for stupidity and and (laughs) I just don't I just don't I have no patience for it I really don't Um, I mean that was one of the beauties of of losing my mother young was that you know when you sit there and you watch someone die in front of you Hmm. it's very clear that like this thing's not a joke you you will die one day and right. like you only have so much time and like don't that's waste it because it's yeah. you know spend it well
1: yeah
2: well maybe on that note uh i mean it's that's powerful and uh worth taking don't waste taking it, heed it well. of, yeah
0: boiler
1: yeah plate.
2: yeah yeah <laughs> um, so we, we mentioned at the beginning and throughout, uh, you have your book, like your memoir, the Cape house, uh, is out through the usual channels, Amazon and, uh, yeah,
3: it's on Amazon and through my website, yeah, website.
2: uh, R e a b o c h n e r. com. rcom right? yeah. Um, yep. anything else you'd like people to know about you, where to find you?
3: Um, well, you can find me through the website, and I okay. also have a blog on there, um, and um, different book clubs, and um, I'm actually doing a a special event right now um, called um, Book Club Live, so basically any book club that selects the book, uh, the Cape House, mm-hmm. as their book, if they reach out to me, no matter where they are, um, I will do, I will make an appearance at their book club meeting about the book, um, awesome. either via FaceTime or Skype or whatever, um, so if that's they want to reach careless. out they can do that that's yeah cool. it's I pretty cool
2: hadn't heard of that but that's that's an awesome thing um,
3: yeah
2: uh, well fantastic um, okay. thanks for joining us yeah thank you
3: so much and thank you so much for having me
2: fascinating and illuminating and uh, yeah we're going to take a look at uh, the Cape House and anybody that wants uh, Rhea at their book club uh, read the Cape House
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I think that's club a terrific up. idea I love
2: She'll it she
0: be there
1: yeah.
0: cool yeah uh, I will be there well, all right, cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you, and, and all yeah. the best. Thank Maddie, you. I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Outro?
0: outro. You know,
2: forever. Like when I was younger, I pronounced it outro. Really? Yeah, it took me a while to realize it was. It made sense. Intro, intro, and outro. <laughs> I, I just pronounced like, intro, intro. No, I don't know. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> intro, <laughs> intro, and outro. I think because I was eh, whatever who cares alright thanks, thanks to the listeners um, thanks to Ria that was pretty Rhea. cool thanks to yeah and we learned I learned I learned oh you're gonna learn <laughs>
1: <laughs> learn learn